Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. With me today, I have the excellent Jeff Tucker. How are you doing, Jeffrey? Uh, still wonderful. Still wonderful after all these days. And Greg Johnson, how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing good. I feel like we just talked about that last movie five minutes ago. I know, right? But you it's say it's been a week. Been... It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, you know, sometimes I, I don't know about you guys, but I literally just uh, sit in my recording booth and I just wrap a blanket around my head and I'm like a parrot. I sleep <laughs> until uh, my alarm goes off for the next recording session. Uh, yeah, so this is part two of our pairing Black Westerns because we want to keep Black History Month going all year long every year because Black history is American history. I'm really excited to talk about this one. I've been wanting to tackle this movie for a long time, and um, I think it's got a lot of interesting things to recommend it. Uh, this is 1972's Buck and the Preacher. Uh, this is the first directed film by Sidney Poitier, the incredible um, sort of legend of american cinema Sidney poitier uh, from in the heat of the night uh, among dozens of other movies and buck and the preacher so it's written by um ernest kinoy and uh the story was developed by uh, ernest and drake walker and this is this is sort of i hate you hate to assume that people are in our country inherently racist, but history has shown us that we do have an incredible cultural bias and it has caused some real crappy uh, omissions in history of all elements of culture, including cinema. And the reason I say that is because while this is not an unknown film, the fact that there are so many Westerns from the 70s, uh, I'm not even talking you know, Italian Westerns, uh, just American Westerns that we know about and frankly are just mediocre films at best. And yet a film about a black experience in our history directed and starring uh, by and starring black people is really unknown compared to those. I can only assume it was racism because I found this movie head and shoulders above many of those other films. Um, I'm not going to say it's perfect, uh, but it was one of those movies where I saw it and I was like, why haven't I heard about this movie before? Um, because it seems like it fills several niches that really deserve uh, notice 
and appreciation that a lot of other um, films don't. And so uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Now, I mentioned uh, at the beginning that this is directed by and starring Sidney Poitier. Now, this actually was not originally going to be directed by Sidney Poitier. Um, Joseph Sargent, who is a very, was a very successful director, um, directed some of the original Star Trek episodes, directed Jaws 2, um, which was not necessarily a great movie, but is entertaining nonetheless, directed stuff all the way up until 2008, uh, and he died in 2014, just has directed some of everything, directed an incredible number of successful television movies, among other things. But uh, Sidney Poitier was not happy with um, what, what he described as the, um, the viewpoint of the film. And so he uh, sought the reins of the movie and was given it. And it's interesting because it's clear that Sidney Poitier cut his teeth because I believe he directed eight films in total throughout his career, that he cut his teeth on this movie because the directing is not perfect. Um, it's not bad, but there's several things that I think an experienced director would have been able to smooth over that we can see in this, at least watching with a critical eye. I don't know if a casual watch would catch these things. But for example, I mean, I saw a boom mic at one point, um, just oh, one. There is a boom mic. Now, there's mm. to, 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 to be an apologist for this, especially during the film days rather than the digital days of cinema there was a there's a kind of a wide margin around film that is cut off by a, an old school projector um, i say old school i grew up threading these projectors but at this point they're old school and so oftentimes you would have stuff that was on film but was not visible to an audience um there's even modern cases of this i mean there is uh i believe bare breasts in uh the the pg-13 movie uh is it even pg-13 blue crush that was a thing that projectionists were like ho 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 because it was cut off um in most projectors but it was on the reel um and so likelihood is like things like that boom it was probably never seen until it was released on uh home video and and now digital and things like that but that's the kind of stuff that probably wouldn't have happened with a more experienced uh directorial mm. eye even though that's a cinematographer's reigns there were also lots of risks taken um and before we even get to the plot i'm just mentioning some of these technical things uh, there's a lot of handy cam work it's not really handy cam it's steady cam but it's sort of a juddering pan um, it's not smooth. It gives it a much more ground level, like in the mix, uh, in the actual scene vibe. It feels almost like it's directed more like a street level Richard Price cop drama than it is a traditional Western. Um, we do have some of the old school Western shots, like um, pan out shots where you're just panned way out and you see people running in front of a mountain hill or something. But we get a lot more very close shots of people than you get in some other ones. And, and that's clearly intentional given the subject. Now, to get into the plot of this movie, uh, before I let anybody else talk, <laughs> is um, the plot is, this is a, a true, these are fictional characters, but this is a, a true happening uh, that occurred after the Civil War. Uh, slaves were freed, on paper anyway, and uh, some of them, many of them, wanted to leave the South because Although they were technically on paper free, they were working under oppressive situations with, with completely uh, unequitable pay. 
by the, the same people that once had them as slaves. So you had people who were, yes, you're free, but you're still working the same land you were working. And now we're paying you, but we're still treating you like shit. And we're barely paying you. We're going to pay you as little as we possibly can to get away with it. So they said, well, where can we go? Uh, and we can go west because Western expansion was still happening. There was a lot of land available. Of course, I say available. It was Native American land, but that's a whole other subject, right? And so they um, they would want to go west, but they'd need wagoneers who knew the area to be able to broker the land and get these people uh, across these long stretches, because we all know America is a very large place. The United States is massive and tra traveling by yourself uh, or with a family is, is tough stuff. If you don't know where you're going, um, especially there were Native American tribes who, um, who you know, held claim over uh, all of that land, but some of whom would not let you pass or required payment, uh, all that sort of thing. So they needed people. And Sidney Poitier plays a character who is one of these wagoneers. He's a black man who is trying to lead these recently freed people to uh, a new homestead. And the problem is, is that even though they're completely legal citizens and allowed to do this, there were people in the South who were watching their economy crumble because all of a sudden they had to pay for labor. And they hired uh, bands, in this case, bands of uh, ex-Confederate soldiers to, um, to basically beat, murder, rape, and harass these people who were trying to leave into going back to Louisiana, Mississippi, et cetera, and work on the land. So you had this roundabout way of, of, of slavery happening all over again. And this, is, this was very widespread. Uh, and this is the context of this movie. So you have, a, in this movie, you have a group of uh, presumably ex-Confederate uh, uh, soldiers, although they certainly didn't have to be. Uh, the leader, played by Cameron Mitchell, who we'll absolutely talk about, uh, is uh, where still wears his Confederate uniform in this movie. And he, uh, his character's Confederate uniform. <laughs> Cameron Mitchell was old, but he wasn't that old. Um, <clears throat> and they uh, go and they end up killing and, and burning out one group of settlers that uh, that Sidney Poitier's character has tried to get across. And so he's working really hard to get this other group across. And the group is, um, you know, constantly tormented by these, this, this, these criminal outlaw gangs that are trying to get them to go back. And you also have a Native American tribe that they're crossing the land through that, uh, that Sidney Poitier's character is brokering with, paying for passage, that sort of thing, paying for them to be able to kill buffalo, to eat them, things like that. And what ends up happening is Sidney Poitier runs across and steals a horse from Harry Belafonte's character, the preacher, who is a con man. And he's a preacher of a con man. So he uh, is a really standout character. He's kind of, it's funny because it's Harry Belafonte who is actually quite a handsome man, but they gave him, they did the Jack Sparrow on him. They gave him like these brown decrepit teeth, which is funny because he's the only character that has this, right? These really rotten teeth. Um, but so you get this character who looks almost dapper, like he almost passes as what he pretends to be. And then he smiles and he has what would be an infectious smile, but it's just 
grimy and gross. And this isn't offend, trying to offend anyone out there who has dental issues. Uh, we all have our issues, but this is a visual cue of who this character is. And I really appreciated that element. Um, so anyway, the preacher character does not like uh, Sidney Poitiers because Buck, because he stole his horse. So he runs afoul of, and by afoul, I mean, he just happens to cross paths with Cameron Mitchell's band of thugs. Uh, these thugs are, of course, bullish, rude, nasty, murderous white men. And he says, well, I, if I find Buck, um, you know, you'll give me $500. And they're like, yep. So he sets out and he's like, I'm going to find Buck. Well, when he finds Buck, of course, he finds out ultimately what Buck is actually doing. And uh, after a horrible attack that leaves um, several people, including a young child dead on the, the wagon train, um, Preacher is like, I'm going to help you get these people and we're going to get money and we're going to rob a bank. And that's how it goes. They rob a bank to get money. Things seem to work out. This is a spoiler alert. It's not a spoiler. It's a Western and it's not a tragic Western, except for the fact that it actually is kind of a tragic situation because it's really happened. Um, we talked last week about uh, The Harder They Fall, where uh, director Seymour took a lot of real Black people from Old West history and put them together in a fictional plot and town. This is sort of the reverse. We have real events with fictional characters uh, living through them. And so I thought that was really interesting that it's, it's two different, almost opposite approaches to a similar concept, which is black people's experience in the old West. And the fact that they really were a critical part of the old West, like all aspects of Western, um, of Westerner American history. So um, I'm just gonna go into finally, now that I've babbled everyone's ears off, I want to hear what you guys think, Jeff, what were you expecting going into 1972's Buck and the Preacher? And what did you get once you were finished? Well, I'd never heard of this. And, you know, and, and like, like you started out in the beginning with your endless series of words <laughs> that you normally do. Um, you know, like I actually watched a lot of Westerns when I was a kid with my dad and stuff. And like, you know, this was never, you know, on the list of things that, that we watched. Um, so I thought it was going to be bad, like, like, not because like, you know, um, I had any like knowledge of it. It's just like, I didn't hear of it. So it must have, you know, been like really low budget and like poorly. You just know me and you assumed that I would give and, you and in fairness, cinematic dog you give shit, us a lot of give, you give us a lot of crap on here. So you've set the expectations. Um, so and um, yeah, so anyways, I was so I was very surprised at the film. It was very complex. There's a lot of interesting ideas that they were working with. Um, and I, I actually didn't know it had um, or was directed by Sidney Poitier. Uh, I, I thought, you know, uh, like I was very surprised. I was like, oh my God, what, what, what's going on? Like this is a, you know, uh, like, like you said, a legendary actor. Um, I believe he's won an Oscar. I mean, he's like, you know, he's not just, yep. um, uh, you know, like the, he's the, the, the top, you know, actor of, of, you know, of that. I mean, that I think generation. in the US, if you were of our, at least our, the generation before us, at least, I think if you were to ask, what do you think, who do you think is the most famous black actor in America? It would probably be him. Yeah. Um, he really, it's, it would be, you would be hard pressed to see people who are movie fans not know, at least recognize Sidney Poitier's name. 
Um, so yeah. and I believe I believe he was actually knighted. Um, so oh, he's... interesting. I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I believe it though. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But anyways, we go back to it. So like, I, I actually just want to co- quickly contrast this to Harder They Fall. So like this this movie had very few characters in it. And, and I'm not saying like you can't make a movie with a lot of characters, but like you can really see the difference between these two films if we just contrast them. Um, our two kind of leads have a lot of scenes together. Um, and so like they have a relationship develop over, over those scenes. Um, you have um, multiple interactions with um, the uh, Native American um, uh, tribe who uh, really like we interact with uh, the wife of a chief um, who speaks who English, speaks English. And, transla- and translates. Um, and that relationship develops. And like, we, we see this like complex um, kind of uh, emotion that everybody's feeling about the situation because both groups are, you know, very poorly treated and have been, uh, you know, harmed by, uh, the white people that have come and settled, uh, you know, the, the land of America. And so, and it, and, and it really created like this interesting thing. And so I, I think that for, you know, you know, for watching a movie, it, it creates a, a better kind of narrative because you have like all of these relationships develop and, and you really flush out these interesting ideas. It's not like about like a, like, you know, a really, um, you know, interesting monologue where, you know, an actor is just like, you know, drawing you in and, um, uh, this is this really is about um, you know emotions and feelings and um, uh, you know the the journey that you go along with these characters. Um, the only thing I'm, I'm gonna I am gonna say something negative about this film. I thought the music was both jarring and distracting at times. Um, it, it's it's a lot of uh, like old school instrumentation like actual like rubber band banjos it it Um, had it had like yeah like the spaghetti western like kind of like blueprint but like there's something about the dissonance of it that like uh, was like really distracting it was i don't know if it was like too uh, yeah i'm not uh, though i studied music theory a little bit i can't speak to this i don't know why uh it was it was off but it just it was very jarring and uh, uh, it's interesting because i actually loved the music in this but oh, i can completely okay. understand um it is it is overpowering at times um yeah. and especially and we get um and the intro is um a fairly long intro over the credit sequence where we see um sort of um film grainified old style silver type uh, photography that's very rough and grainy and reproduced um, with this soundtrack and this particular this title track that comes up several times throughout the movie especially during the action scenes and it's interesting I it did I the reason I liked it I guess is because it put me in it very clearly set up right away where I was I was not contemporary I wasn't even contemporary 70s um, and because the instruments were uh these sort of americana instruments right they were they were things like the the rubber band banjo things that were not made out of normal um you know no one went to guitar center to get this shit uh i thought it was it was it put me in a time and place um Mm. but i can understand that you could also be yeah seeing a lot of like i i've definitely heard a lot of that style um Mm -hmm. it just was 
Um, uh, well, it's also loud. They yeah, really it was, sound it was, mastered it, it loud. Yeah, it was quite loud and um, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, uh, I, I'm not going to talk more because I'm I'm not going to say it properly. It just it 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 was jarring to me and it was it took me out of the the moment quite often. Well, I mean, it's all it's all jazz music, isn't it? I yeah, mean, that's it's like this. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's a strange sort of old west jazz. I mean, that'll 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 pull you out because yeah, it says. Let's see. We have um, a bunch of people I don't know, but I know I know that they're they're prominent in in jazz. Um, Benny Carter, Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee, um, a couple others. But um, yeah, it. I I don't think I've ever seen a western in my life where I'm like, oh, jazz. Like, yeah, this fits. This is <laughs> this is it. And and it's interesting because of course the coast the the co lead is is Harry Belafonte who is known as the king yeah. of calypso <laughs> and is much more famous for his music career than his acting career. Mm, yeah. um, and interesting, you said Jeff, of course, that we see um, the Native American tribe. Who uh, again, spoilers. I don't believe spoilers ruin a movie, so there are light spoilers. But this is not a big whodunit. There's no twist, um, so don't fear that too much. Um, but uh, the 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 Native Americans are like this is we're fighting a Rome fight. We need our weapons. We need our bolts. We need everything for us. So you can have passage for payment and you can have a limited amount of food, but that is it. Um, we will not give you an, and then of course they end up actually helping. Um, well, th there's also bit. like a great line that you kind of gloss over there. So like, um, I, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it was basically like, you know, uh, there, he, he, he was asking for guns and like, he was saying like, your enemy is our enemy. Um, and, and the, the retort was basically like, you fought with our enemy in the past. And it was like, you know, it was kind you of fought against men. us with our enemy. Yeah, exactly. And so it was kind of like, you know, it, we get it, but we don't trust you. Like, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, we, we understand that you're also. Uh, or even like, you don't deserve our trust. Like we're, we understand you because we understand your position, but you don't deserve this what is what is essentially a sacrifice from us you know yeah. and and i i agree and i just want to say too that um the woman who played the the squaw the uh who was the translator who did a great job i think um being this in between where she also was very communicative with buck's character right like she she translates and she's like you're not going to get like she gives him the straight mm. scoop that's actually uh, was uh harry belafonte's wife so oh. um uh, so that's interesting. So I wonder, there, there's this cute moment where, you know, uh, Belafonte's character preacher is like, is like, hot damn, or whatever, when she gets off her horse, he's like, if you want to live, you'll be quiet. Um, <laughs> but I got you got to wonder if it was that moment, like for the audience who knew, if it was that moment, like in uh, M Mel Gibson's Maverick movie, where he see his character sees um, uh, Danny Glover's character, and is like, oh, what? and they both like do this double take and then it's of course a meta joke right um for lethal weapon reference but you know i really liked the and of course i can say i'm native american to a point because many of us in this country are but i cannot claim any true understanding of native american culture i am very far removed it is very watered down heritage for me and i 
there are people in this country who are still dealing with the oppression uh, that, that faces the native community in our country. So I can't speak to how accurate it is, but I appreciated the, the representation of the natives in this was, they were not bad people, but, and they were, they were proud and capable people who had a, a, a limited amount of power at the time, but they were, they get their say out and they're talking to someone who also is completely powerless, right? In many ways, like they're talking to recently freed black people who are trying to survive in an incredibly oppressive environment. And they're like, listen, just because we're the same doesn't mean that we owe you. You know what I mean? Like, and we get that sort of, as a white person growing up in the nineties, we often heard this, like everyone who isn't white is lumped together. Everyone who isn't white is a minority. And it's the same thing in religion, right? If you're in a Christian section of the world, everyone who isn't Christian is pagan or is heathen or whatever term. And it's not that simple. It's much more nuanced. There are many players in the world uh, through all groups and to oversimplify our view in any of those cases is a detriment, right? To society, because you're not gonna understand fully the situation and also, you know, no, no, no group is homogenous, uh, truly. So it's interesting you know, it, to see it, that play. It's a, it's a little different than the uh, the the the, the big uh, blazing saddle scene where Mel Brooks in red face of all things um, allows the 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 care the 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 African people in the caravan to continue on with the line like, oh, they're darker than us. Like, like, right. oh, they must have it worse. Um, which, yeah, I love, I love that this film had that line, Jeff. I mean, that was such a a good moment. To, I mean, he he, it's basically him saying like, "Hey, help a brother out," and the the chief looking at him like, "Brother, like, we are two very different people who, like, we're not friends through the sheer fact of we both don't like white people to different degrees, like." We also don't like each other some days and like we've had like yeah it's yeah it's, it's not so simple it's not so simple as there's white and then there's everyone else yeah yeah and and i and we usually don't see that and also just just like black history native american history is incredibly overlooked and undertaught in our country and i mean they're the Native Americans have really, there were Native American slaves in the South, um, you know, a lot of them. And I mean, Toni Morrison has written about it some in some of her books as well, which I think a lot of us, us white fiction writing degree folks probably learned about that in some narrow way from her works. And it's really, it goes back to what, to the, to the trivia about the film, I guess, with Sidney Poitier taking the reins because of the, the, the original viewpoint did not feel legitimate, right? And that's sort of, I, I can, we can, we can safely assume it's because it was not the viewpoint of someone who lives outside of whiteness, right? Being white and having a level of safety and, and, and things that we take for granted that are, are given to us, um, which we like to think are given to everyone, but we know uh, presently are, are really not. And so it's, 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 in some ways, it's another harrowing thing to see like, oh, God, like this happens to black people too in our country. Like, you know, you always get that new like, oh, no, it's so much worse than I thought. And I already thought it couldn't get any worse. Um, but it also is like, 
this shouldn't be news to us, right? We should know this, but we don't know this. And so, and the movie is aware that even in 1972, people did not know this. We know that because there is a text intro at the beginning that explains the situation to us, just like I did at the beginning of this podcast, you know, after slavery ended, they were being uh, used and abused in the South still. So they tried to go West to find a better life. And they, and the South sent people to, you know, harass them back to the South. And something I thought was really cool is on two separate instances in this movie, um, members of the group, the, the white, confederate you know past confederate whatever group the assholes the assholes right um cameron mitchell's gang are they say in both times like you like you're talking about them the south is crumbling if we don't get workers back the south will fall and like and they're not saying it as in like the south will lose the war they already lost the war they're saying People will go hungry. People will starve. We won't have an economy, which, of course, is in one respect, you're like, well, they're thinking of it from their perspective. And I can see that to an extent. But what they're saying is so incredibly um, myopic, right? Like they're saying that when what they're doing is ensuring that fate to the 10th degree on the people that they're assaulting and driving back and murdering and that's i think that was really interesting that that was put in because oftentimes especially from apologists for the south and i'm not trying to shit on the south as far as like as we said nothing is homogenous there are amazing white people in the south there are amazing white people in the north there are plenty of oppressive nasty white people in the south and nasty white people in the north it, it really it really is not limited by any boundary but because of their history i'm using south as a as a as a geographic term to say hey it was pretty bad for black people down there and which is a huge understatement and where they were saying, you know, we can't survive this way. You're like, you cannot survive that way because you're doing it on the backs of other people, right? And so having that in this movie, sort of when I teach, when I teach writing papers to college students, which is something I do, um, they often put in all of the points supporting their argument and they don't bother to talk about the competing argument, right? The opposing side. But if you really want to make a great argument for your point, you have to share the, the opposing side and then declaw it, right? You have to take the ammunition out of the opposing argument before they have a chance to make their point. Because if you just say, this is right because of all these things, somebody's going to leave and go, oh, you're right. But as soon as you're gone, the other side's going to come and say, well, they didn't tell you about this, this, and this. And then they're going to switch to the other side. You have to give the opposing argument and then explain why it's batshit crazy or why it doesn't apply to your argument and that's sort of what the film does by including this little bit where these people really think that they're doing something good for some for their home the south when we can see on the outside how ludicrous that argument is and i say it because that's still an argument that apologists for the south use today which is well the economy was going to collapse well, of course it was going to collapse because you built it on slavery. So it, it's sort of like whenever you have an industry die, 
it it's going it's dying for a reason and you need to find an alternative source you have to change with the times it's a harsh you know uh side effect of progress but it's worth it especially when you're dealing with things like human rights you so, know Nate, i i I, I have to push back on that because you know if if people just would take off their masks and get their asses <laughs> back to work i could eat my fucking applebees but uh <laughs> oh oh god um we're gonna call you craig q johnson um yeah, no, uh, of course you're being facetious and it's, it's totally true. We're seeing, we're seeing all sorts of the same threads that were being addressed in this movie in the 70s, you know, 50 years ago, right now. Yeah, um, I, I, I do like that this film has a lot of that. It has a lot of, um, I mean, parallels to now as any good thought-provoking film does. It has parallels to its own time, which is obviously the intention. Um, it definitely is a, a film of, you know, current events. Mm-hmm. Which it's sort of, when you say current events, it's like sometimes it feels sad that we're talking about current events that have still current 50 years later. Yeah. But what, did, what did you expect when you went into this movie, Greg? Um, you know, I, I thought it would be a little more, um, I, I, I guess I thought it would be a little more, period. Um, I, I think I might, I mean, spoiler for the end here, I might be the only one that, that doesn't end up recommending this film as nice of the things I've said about it so far. Um, I thought it was dry. I thought it was really, really dry. Um, the acting's great. There's a lot of really good moments, but, you know, like like last week where we talked about The Harder We Fall being a Netflix film and it being so almost perfectly paced to its medium of the small screen and you know presuming its audience is preoccupied i feel like this is a movie theater experience film this is something Mm -hmm. that i should be in a theater where i'm trying to escape versus you know i watch this on my computer screen um and you know i'm thinking about work (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm thinking i'm thinking about all my my other shit going on and I just, I couldn't get into the film um, on top of, you know, it's, um, you know, all, 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 I, I could never direct a film myself, but, you know, to Sidney Poitier, it's, uh, it's definitely his first film that he directed. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it was just a little bit um, far and few between on the moments and the, the dialogue, but, you know, the acting's great. The writing's really good. It, it just, it didn't catch me. I, I was kind of waiting for it to uh, to get to the point a lot. I You know, it's interesting you say that because I do think my one complaint with this film is there is a pacing issue and it and a lot of films have this similar issue, which is there's a bank robbery and it's kind of the elite, like the whole from the bank robbery on is a climax moment. It's the climax of the film. And what happens is, is that that comes when you almost expect the movie to be over um and yet there's still another half hour or so and it's and it's kind of a a departure in tone because you've really had a lot of back and forth minor skirmishes characters missing each other in the night kind of thing and then you have them coming in and also you have spoiler alert you have them killing most of the opposing gang um like kind of early, especially Cameron Mitchell's character, who I said I'd talk about Cameron Mitchell. So if, if you if people don't know listening, if you're younger, if you don't know who Cameron Mitchell is, um, he's he was on 
I want to say he might have been actually more in more mystery science theater and Rift Tracks films than Joe Estevez at this point. Um, he he has been sort of the peak of like top cinema, considered one of the best actors, and also been in some of the most garbage, thrown together. Um, backyard movies of the 70s and 80s like it, it was a real um john carradine you know ascent descent and at this point he's he's not a young man but he's younger than most of those roles that see him you know sitting behind a chair playing an evil scientist or uh in space mutiny as um as commander santa claus basically you don't see him in that you see him as this kind of scary ex-confederate soldier who really just likes um abusing black people and um he basically when he's in this movie and and this is again i'm not reading him i am a cameron mitchell fan i think he does a great job in this movie and i'm a fan of him in general but i think he'd had his first facelift at this point and he basically i couldn't get over the fact that he looked acted and talked like everybody's racist grandmother just with a white guy mustache every like that's what he was and it was like, it was, it was trippy. Um, I also, something else I took away from this movie was I am heartbroken that Harry Belafonte didn't do more roles. Like, cause he, he did do a fair amount of films and stuff, but it was not his main gig, right? Um, and yet for when you have a, a, a singing sensation or a musician sort of step into acting, um, it doesn't mean they're bad. I mean, Lady Gaga, I don't think she's a bad actress at all, but oftentimes you have them sort of at best, you get that, oh, they weren't bad. You know what I mean? And in this case, I thought he was phenomenal. Um, he was a true standout to me because he plays, he's not the straight character. Sidney Poitier is a straight character. Harry Belafonte's preacher is the wackadoo character. And I, I could watch him go from like normal to his crazy preacher con man act a hundred times over. Um, and I mean, we first see him nude bathing in the creek and, you know, he's forced to, to strip down naked uh, so Buck can run away with his horse. And it's just, you knew his character right away, not because they gave you too much info, but because his acting was, I think, so on spot on for this character. I can't envision anybody else being in this role. Um, I think we've tackled pretty much everything i think it's the most interesting takeaway and listeners this is what's fun about doing a podcast like this is hopefully you guys get a lot out of it because you learn about these films uh, and either go want to go watch them or revisit them um and but you also we on the podcast learn things from each other's experiences with these movies that we didn't know before for example i adored the music in this movie i really thought it was a standout component but I can absolutely see Jeff's reaction. And I think it's a valid point. I think that it probably is quite, it makes me wonder if I didn't have the option to change the volume on my TV as I was watching this, if I was in a theater, would it change my, my perspective? Um, I think of, of the recent, you know, Villeneuve's Dune that just came out, music is such a component and it's, it's a lot of ambient music, but it's loud, like it is deafening. And seeing in the theater, it made it so much more impactful. But if it had been um, uh, Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy played at that same decibel for the same amount of time, I might've had a very different reaction and it would have affected my uh, ability to, to sit with the movie. 
So I think that that's just interesting. Let's move on to recommendations. Um, Jeff, would you recommend Buck and the Preacher from 1972 to uh, our listeners? And if so, why and to who? Um, I am. So I think with movies that are like old, um, you kind of, you get into this, this thing where it's like, I, I think only certain people are going to be interested in going back and, and watching kind of like older films. Um, for a lot of the reasons that like, you know, it's maybe inspired things that we've seen. And it's just like, uh, it, older films, you kind of have to go in with a little bit of like a, uh, um, you have to, you have to give it a little bit of, of, of space to, to not be at the same kind of like, um, you know, film quality and sound quality and like all of these things that you come to expect from modern films. Um, and I think in, in this case is like, you know, the dialogue, like Greg was saying, is maybe a little slow and boring. Um, and I, I think that might be partially just because it's, it's so old. Um, it doesn't, it, it, nothing's going to shock you here. You're not going to be sitting at your desk, you know, paying attention, like, you know, playing with your phone or something. And there's not going to be something that somebody says that's going to shock you or like, you know, make you stop and pay attention um it's it's all going to be stuff that you know you've heard before um and 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 i and i think that so i do recommend this but like you know only for people who really you know are into um kind of like older films and i i think this is actually an interesting complex film because it has a lot of ideas it it has a lot of relationships that develop throughout the film um so for like people who love film i think this is actually a really good watch and like to contrast it to like, you know, almost, you know, the majority of Western films, there's like no complexity. It's like, you know, somebody you love was killed or, you know, a town is in danger. Or, you know what I mean? It's like the... It's all about the gunfight. Yeah, it's all about, it's, there's not much, you're not going to take much away from it. And this one really has a lot of ideas and like a lot of things that like maybe will change your perspective on um different things and like uh you actually might grow from this film so i i thought it was actually a really interesting mix of all of those things and um you know they made a movie that uh, i thought was entertaining um that was able to do all of those things i like that you said um that you said it, it could change your perspective because i do think that um because i did we did your recommendation right greg no no did yet. i okay um, uh, well, let's move into that because there's something I, I'd like to hear what you have to say about it and then we'll go. So Greg, would you recommend, uh, you already kind of told us, Buck and the Preacher, uh, 1972 uh, to listeners and if so, why or why not? Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little remiss to just say a flat out no. So, I mean, I'll give the caveat of if you, if you're a cinephile of any degree, yeah, give it a watch. Um, if you're a history buff, I think it's worth a watch. I'm not unhappy that I saw it. <laughs> But it's nothing that I would recommend to a friend just for shits and giggles. I wouldn't watch it again. Um, honestly, I was kind of thinking about like, oh, like what, like what did I see Sydney Poitier in that I really liked? And I was like, oh yeah, like guess who's coming to dinner? And that would be my alternate recommendation. You want to see like a good film about like black identity um, that has Sydney Poitier, who um, he just died last month, didn't he? So he did. He died January fifth, yeah. I believe, and so he's yeah. This is a this is a memorial for him as well. Uh, yeah. 
So if you're if you're feeling in the mood to kind of revisit his legacy, guess who's coming to dinner? It's a great place um, to go. Um, I, I'm actually kind of thinking about watching him. Um, he he apparently directed a Jimmy Stewart film called Magic Town that I've he never did, yeah. seen, and I'm like, oh, okay, that'd be fun. That'd be fun to see. Gotta see it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess that would be my if you're if you're a cinephile history buff sure but most likely i'd say pick pick one of his other movies um i mean shit go back and watch the harder they fall instead i recommended that last week and so i'm actually okay. I, I would actually make a make a point here like even though i just recommended it i will probably not watch buck and the preacher again though <laughs> i really did i'm really glad that i got to see it and i'm glad that nate recommended that i wouldn't have seen it otherwise if i didn't have a good buddy yeah. like him uh, but I probably would watch like, you know, the harder they fall again, <laughs> like more likely. Yeah. I think that that's fair. I mean, it, it's definitely, it's definitely, Buck in the Future is definitely beholden to its era of Western yeah. filmmaking, which is a very specific style. Um, you know, we, we get one, it's not, even though there are, um, there's violence in this movie, we get one shot of blood uh, and it is the, uh, or blood spot and it is the, sort of the last of the uh, Confederate gangs gets, gets, gets shot. Um, and we see it and it's a little bit of a shock moment. I'm sure I will say the, the, the fake out at the end with Sidney Poitier laying there pretending to be dead and the guy coming up to check his body and him just blowing the hole in his head. I was like, yeah. that was, that was really well shot. Like it was that really oomph, well shot. It was that oomph moment that I was missing in the harder they fall at the climax, you know? Um, although we did get it with the, the, um, RJ Siley moment. But anyway, uh, so I, I, I will recommend this film. I actually really, really love this film. Um, I do think that if you really don't like 70s movies, don't watch it. Or if you don't like Westerns um, for any reason other than you don't like gunfights, don't watch it. Because um, this isn't an action film for sure. It does have action moments. I, I want to mention one more, one more scene. Um, there's, so when the wagon train that is the focus of the movie um, is traveling. They have this money saved, like $1,400. And they keep it wrapped around um, a, a, one of their, their younger girls, pretty girls, like waistcoat under her, under her uh, whatever is called that garment. And I thought it was interesting the way when, before Buck and Preacher go and, and try and blow away this Confederate gang, um, the gang raids the the wagon thing and they kill a bunch of them uh, and we see uh, one of the survivors uh, carrying back uh, an injured beaten this this girl uh, and her blouse is ripped open and the money's gone and the implication is is that they raped her and stole the money and they don't say it in the movie and it's a very interesting choice and it seems like i think i really liked that moment because it makes it more uncomfortable because you as the audience are it's dawning on you and it's also representative of the abuse that these characters as black people have experienced in their world at this point that when this happens and they see it they don't say anything because what are you going to say? They understand it. They don't, it's not that they're happy with it or accept it, but they have to move on. And this is nothing new. 
even though it's yet another terror uh, heaped on them. And I thought that a lesser writer and a lesser director would have um, done, I think of the movie Deadly Prey, which is kind of a cult favorite, which the climax is our hero beating uh, uh, one of the villains to death with their own arm. Um, there's, there's this, and Riff Tracks covered this movie, by the way, if you if Riff Tracks and Mr. Science Theater fans out there, but it has this ridiculous, most, not only cliche, but like tasteless, like they completely miss the point moment where uh, the bad guy is like, oh, you think you got me? And he pulls out the hero's like girlfriend and she just screams i can't remember the guy's name max or whatever it was in the 80s like he raped me max he raped me and anytime you have to say the big like moment the big tragedy like that it's not only is it tasteless because rape shouldn't be used as a flippant like <laughs> drive to complete some stupid movie but it's just it's just bad writing um you didn't in this case they didn't have to show it happen they showed what actually is even more heart-wrenching which is the aftermath um you know the the people take her and they and the women take her to the to the one of the tents set up and they have a towel for her and like it's just it's just that moment that it's a subtlety that speaks so much more more with so much more visceral realness than, um, you know, the he raped me moment. And I'm not mocking people saying that. I'm mocking that being said in such a ridiculous manner for such a small payoff as um, as the the white savior killing the villain in an 80s movie, Soundstage, that was also used for Gilligan's Island. Like, that's what I'm saying. Um, so, yes, I recommend this movie. Um, I do think that, you know where I would love to see this movie? I would love to see this movie watched in an American history class in freshman high school English or history rather, because it's one of those movies where some people are really going to dig it because they've never seen anything like this, but also it's going to give it's, it doesn't have nudity, incredibly limited blood, um, not nasty language really for the most part. Um, good acting uh, it's not super long. It's an hour and 41 minutes at the time. That was a little long, but now it's a short film. Um, and it would show people, just let people in on the fact that we do not talk about and, and are not taught about so many aspects of the experiences that those of us in our country have had throughout history who are not white. And this is one of those movies that it's safe to play in school. I mean, unless you're in Florida um, and, and, and you refuse to discuss critical, critical race theory. And, but, you know, but it could, it could really provide an insight in an entertaining way um, to a struggle that we just don't talk about. Uh, and, and it's kind of front and center in, in our culture right now. Uh, I think a lot of people who grew up middle-class white in, in areas where there aren't a lot of people of color uh, and not a lot of different cultural influence that is recognizable. I think they honestly, and this is not an excuse for them, I don't believe there's an excuse for racism and bigotry and oppression, but they do not understand how oppression happens and how it's been effective 
uh, and affected on the people in our in our communities uh, throughout the history of the United States. And this is not just a United States problem. Every culture has some sort of oppression, um, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't address it and work to fix it. And I love the idea of seeing something like this in a school setting, because I think it's totally palatable and appropriate uh, at a high school level. So high school teachers out there see what you can do get this in and see what the reaction is i think you'll be surprised and no kid's going to complain that you're watching a movie yeah it's, and it's, i mean if you're a cool high school teacher though you'll play the harder they fall but you know, <laughs> that's, that's right it's gonna be a little different it's gonna be a little different um yeah so anyway uh, i watched godfather in high school i mean that was one of my that was a great that was a great one but anyway i digress Thank you guys so much for listening to Colton Classic on this uh, Black Western pairing for Black History Month in March. Keep it going all year long every year. And I want to thank our guests, as always, Greg Johnson and Jeff Tucker. And I'm going to thank myself, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. Follow us on uh, social media. Follow Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast and on Facebook.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. Watch as I slowly update all the videos from our recordings on YouTube on our channel at Colton Classic Podcast. And please send reviews, questions, hate mail, anything you want to us at coltonclassicpodcast.gmail.com. And go to our website. That is www.coltonclassicpodcast.com, in case you haven't guessed already. And visit the shop. We have some zines. We did a really cool zine with Dakota Freeman called Cucko the Clown, which is uh, great for all you weirdos out there. And zine lovers, there's a lot of cool stuff you can pick up. And every cent that you uh, give goes back to us and helps us keep this going. So thanks so much. Listen next week for a brand new pairing. And to wrap, us, wrap it up and play us out, we've got the Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.